Good evening. Good evening. Hello. Welcome to Hawthorne. I'm Julian Slowick, and tonight it'll be our pleasure to feed you. The curtain rises. Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, sugar, protein, bacteria, fungi, various plants and animals, and at times entire ecosystems. But I have to beg of you one thing. It's just one. Do not eat. Taste. Savor. Relish. Consider every morsel that you place inside your mouth. Be mindful, but do not eat. Our menu is too precious for that. And look around you. Here we are, on this island. Accept. Accept all of it. And forgive. And on that note, food. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we are wrapping up our Expertise Trilogy with the 2022 film, The Menu. Horror-adjacent, I would say. Definitely has elements of horror and uh, quite a bit of uh, satire. Uh, darkly comic, all that good stuff. And has one heck of a, a performance, central performance, that anchors kind of everything together. I would say it's an ensemble piece, but boy, without Ray Fiennes, uh, you don't have um, you don't have the, the connective tissue. And I had no idea that this film even existed until you mentioned uh, wanting to go see it. My family was overseas visiting um, some extended family, and I had the unique experience of finding out a film just existed and purchasing a ticket to watch it later that day. <laughs> <laughs> Very pleasantly surprised. What did you think of the menu? This is one that I, I was looking forward to. It's a difference in our, our respective uh, lifestyles. You as a, a parent and myself not because I'm still having to get my fix at the theater and seeing almost everything thanks to, you know, the various programs for the, the chains, Regal Unlimited and Cinemark's movie club. And so the menu trailer, like was a lot of things since there's a, a dearth of material and the theatrical market, if something's coming to theaters, you get the trailer every time. It doesn't matter if it fits the genre of film you're watching. If I'm seeing ticket to paradise with George Clooney and Julia Roberts, I'm getting the menu. I'm getting tar. Like I'm, I'm used to be, you would get at least within the same genre, the same demo. Now they're like, you're here. You're probably going to see everything. So I, I thought it was an interesting hook, but I thought, eh, there probably is not going to be much to this. Like it's sort of one note. Um, our, uh, mutual friend, Dave, uh, who I, I 
do not think has done a podcast on the menu. So he just told me this as a real person talking to another real person, like together over dinner, uh, that he was not really that big of a fan of it. He thought it would have worked better as uh, like an anthology piece, uh, you know, your old Twilight Zone sort of episodes. I don't know what that would be now. Maybe Hulu has like a series of sh- shorter films, 45 minutes an hour that they release. Um, I was appalled by this because as I mentioned in our last episode, this actually made money. It's like you're taking away the one hit <laughs> yeah. that adults had and saying, put it on TV and make it shorter, which I thought maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe you would appreciate that. Cause that was your, your one executive note for tar over and over to Mr. Field was uh, a half hour here, there, you know, you think you can find no, it. No. Think- <laughs> I'm just, I just wanted an, a proper allocation of the time. I'm not saying make it shorter, <laughs> I'm just saying, use your time in a different manner. That's all I'm saying. But I mean, there is, or maybe it got canceled. There was a Twilight Zone show that Jordan Peele got off the ground for a season, I think. I don't know if that's uh, oh, yeah. still yeah. airing, but no, no. I, I'm glad that this is a feature length uh, uh, story. I, I was very happy with uh, with with much of it. Uh, a great cast outside of uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, as always. I think she is uh, a, a kind of a... Um, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna just pussyfoot around it. She's, She's a weird-looking weird looking character, <laughs> <laughs> like attractive but weird-looking. She looks like a porcelain doll come to life. Where I'm like, that's not real. So, did you like last night in Soho? Where that's sort of how she's directly cast in that sort of ghostly doll-like fashion of the '60s. I didn't like. Last night in Soho, but I I respected aspects of it. Did you find her as weird looking? Oh <laughs> in yeah, last night in Soho. She, uh, you know, she <laughs> always <laughs> consistency, baby. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's as if the Tom Hanks from the Polar Express came to life, and you're like, oh, that's weird looking, <laughs> and you're like, no, that's a real person. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> So you think Anya Taylor Joy should have just played the robot Megan <laughs> that just came out? She, <laughs> you could just put her in a dress <laughs> and do and that Hobbit shit. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> I'd have blown blown the budget for Megan, but uh, sure, I, w- I would have I would have dug that. Uh, I guess the point I was trying to get to was uh, I disagree with Dave, but I did have that thought in the marketing that. Boy, that's an that's an easy pitch, and I guess that's why it did, um, you know, fairly well. Like I'm, <laughs> I say fairly well. It made just under seventy five million worldwide, I think, like just under forty in America. So ten twenty years ago, this is some sort of like earnest flop that we're not holding up as like there is hope for adult material uh, in theaters. But now we're in a different time period. And I think it's because it's a simple pitch. It's a simple pitch where you just want to know what happens next. So that's yeah. that's very effective for a trailer. Whereas most of the things, like if you get Tar, if you get She Said, as I mentioned in the last episode, you get a sense that you're like, well, I kind of know what that's going to be, and it's going to be a fucking drag. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what you're telling me. <laughs> and this is certainly horrific. What the uh, the diners find themselves involved with um, that they're going to be terrorized during this, you know, full course meal that they have, which I, I hope they enjoy because they're not going to enjoy anything else of the festivities in front of them. Um, but 
you still want to know what happens next. So you may know that bad things are going to happen. It may not be a laugh right, although it is darkly funny, like, you know, tar. That seems to be a kind of a running theme. But I think it's just an old-fashioned, okay, so I want to see if they get out of it. And that's it. And the conversation I had with Dave, he was saying he thought that brevity might have helped it is because that oppressive nature, like tar. Um, I think you do get the sense you know, I don't think this is a spoiler, and if, if you feel that I'm about to spoil anything, please go watch this currently on HBO uh, streaming. I like the oppressive nature of the situation and that, I don't know, what do you think? 40 minutes into this, I did not get the feeling there's a way out for these people. I didn't think there was a magical thing to say or do, and I don't think that's the point. I think that's why they include in the trailer the sequence where they let the men try to flee, try to run away. Like, we'll give you... We'll give you a chance, but you know it's, it's not gonna fucking work. But go ahead, knock your socks off. I enjoyed that aspect of the Ray Fiennes character. That it is very much a weathered. I've seen and heard it all from you, rich assholes. And so I'm not gonna give you much room to do anything. This is my time. It's my time. I'm gonna tell you how it is, and then you're gonna fucking die. But you're gonna eat my food first, and you're gonna enjoy it. I kind of dug that way, but I could see how that might turn some people off once they realize that uh, it's not going to have a happy ending. The irony of what you're saying is like if you would consider something like she said and, and tar to be like the Brussels sprouts or something, the good for you food, this is the French fries. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, which will save you in the end. <laughs> Order that fucking cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think there is something more intellectual happening underneath all of this, and that is uh, the the commentary of whether it's the consumers, or the connoisseurs, the diehards of whatever hobby, whatever interest, whatever art that you are uh, um, compelled to spend your time with. Like, are they ruining the art, the hobby? And by association, I guess the artist, how much of that, like, you know, you see a lot of directors and actors also use the phrasing, oh, the one for me, one for them concept. Right. And, and who owns that art afterwards? I think uh, last month we talked Scream and that was very much a case of like, well, you know, we're up to this many sequels. When is, when are the, when is it going to be the fans time again? When are they going to make the movies that we fell in love with? Not this other, you know, highbrow stuff or what, or what have you. As, as if Scream 4 was the tar of the Scream <laughs> mythology. <laughs> as if they had gone so far afield. <laughs> How could they do that highbrow shit? Get back to Scream 1 and 2. That's the thing that kills me about fans. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why uh, Scream 5 worked so well for me. And I think some people were kind of up to here with meta stuff. But, hey, Scream is the uh, the first franchise that really embraced meta. And, and uh, I say it's allowed uh, to go wherever it wants. And I like that the menu kind of went there, ultimately, uh, 40 minutes in or whatever. You're right. At that point, you're like, there's no way. There's no happy ending for any of them. Um, and even uh, the Anya Taylor-Joy, what, oh, what's her name? She has a couple different names in this film. But her character has to get outside help, like extra information. She's not supposed to go into uh, the chef's uh, living quarters and, and get that insight into him. And so I feel like even her escape, which I, I would imagine is not really an escape because uh, by the end of the film, you don't know if she's really rescued or not. 
it seems like she has uh, decided that that the win is getting the food that she ultimately wants to eat and not, you know, the mm-hmm. artsy fartsy stuff. That she was uh, not fed, like the the not bread. Really enjoyable little things sprinkled throughout this film. Like I'm sorry, I'm going all low. I'm ping ponging uh, 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 this this film here because uh, every little thing makes me think about something else in this film. There's quite quite a lot to uh, dig into here. What did you make of uh, talking about sort of the <clears throat> the expectation of what you're gonna get? We have one character, which is her date, played by uh, Nicholas Holt, I believe is his name. Uh, little uh, Beast Boy from X Men <laughs> First <laughs> Class, right? Is he is he part of the newer the newer generation? Um, very darkly, uh, one of the reveals is that he is the only participant, the only one dining in that night that knew he was coming to his death. Yeah, and he still is such a fucking fan of the chef that he's like, it's going to be worth dying for like this. I want this to be my last meal. It's going to be the greatest last meal of all time. <laughs> I think do you, the film, especially with him goes right up to the line of, is that, is that a believable person you'd run into now? Keep in mind for most film goers, they probably don't know anyone as far as like the cast of characters. They're all elite except for Margot, who is the audience surrogate because she is, uh, a, you know, uh, literally a working girl and that's the reason that she's the replacement date here um did you feel like he his little bit his like <laughs> he is such a fan that he'll die for it did that did that go a little bit off the rails for you because there's a sequence a comedic sequence where they have him they involve him in the kitchen and they're like they're like oh you you have been sort of on the periphery of expertise so much you let's see if you yourself are an expert in this field and of course it did it does not go well. I don't think you're meant to believe that he's suddenly going to be good while hunting up there in the kitchen. I don't <laughs> think he's he's going to wow Rafe and they're going to hug and say it's not your fault anymore and everyone's going to go home happy. Uh, but what did you think of his character? Because I think he's the broadest version of the film. Not only did I – I'm so far from like, oh, believable. Dude, I look into this character – Tyler and I see so much of myself in oh, no. his. his... <laughs> oh no! <laughs> okay, how about this? I see so much of my twenty-two-year-old film cinephile kind of you know that that version of myself where I'm like, my tastes are excellent, yours are horseshit, and whatever. Uh, and, and how dare you try to argue with the facts that I have about the thing that you like? It is. No wonder that we are hetero life mates because I am definitely the Margot in the sense that just give me a fucking hamburger and fries. Like, I do not want this bullshit. Not only that, I don't want to have to listen to you about this bullshit. I'm glad you enjoy it to a point, but it's making me angry if I have to listen to you. Go explain to me why I should enjoy it the same way you enjoy it. That, yes, I'm very much a Margot in that way. And I understand that I'm saying that on a movie podcast. So I hope I'm not <laughs> with our listeners coming across as ever vindictive with them. Like, no, no, no. Listen to me. I mean, <laughs> do listen to me and that you download the show, but you can have your own opinions of things. And that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. I'm Margo now, but I started off as Tyler. I think, I think that that's, that's, that's a nice arc. That is, that is a happy ending. And thankfully, uh, I, I'd never, you know, was called up to this, you know, on set where Fincher was like, you make a fucking movie, you know? So I, that, 
That never happened, thankfully, and I learned the lesson without being mm. trapped on an island. Isn't there a part of you that's like, I could have fucking improved Mank if he'd let me take a swing at that. <laughs> <laughs> could have made a more entertaining movie. What's that, a 50mm lens you got there? Yeah. Yeah, I got one of them at home. Yeah, that's... Can't hey, even Gary, imagine. why don't you try getting out of bed for at least a 10-minute sequence here? This is getting fucking stilted <laughs> and boring. <laughs> Stop. Could I get live subtitles? Because I don't know what the hell he's saying, David. That's, that's me on scene. Where is this? Live subtitles. <laughs> what about John Leguizamo here? As he's called it, playing a version of Steven Seagal. Um, I, I podcast with uh, Bernadette from Australia on projecting film. And she had a problem with, uh, I don't know if you caught Violent Night. It was a total waste of time in my eyes. But yeah, I saw it. He is the main villain in that film, the yet another dark Christmas one. And uh, she posited that she didn't like him playing the villain because she finds him just too likable. She finds his presence too likable. And so even when he's terrorizing, which, you know, he had sort of a month here where he's being the terrorized rich and he's terrorizing the rich. So it's very much, you know, in the, the holiday spirit for him. And I don't think I ever considered that, but I did kind of think about it with the menu and that. If he is playing Steven Seagal, like he said, has said on the press tour, I don't think it, he got close enough because he is far more likable than Steven Seagal ever was, even when he's just bitching and whining. Now, the like finance bro douchebags, those guys can be killed instantly. Oh, yeah. But John Leguizamo is the last one. He's the last one that I, I set on fire in this uh, this restaurant. I agree. And he is also a great mirror of chef here because he is also an artist who's putting stuff out into the world but he's only making the hamburgers and the fries and and uh, the taquitos and, and the stuff that's like f meant for fast consumption not to be thought about and so i thought that was great and and that scene uh, where he finally kind of confronts him like why he's here uh the, the little time that chef has so many of these comedic touches it's hard. It's hard for a film to be a comedy for uh, when it when like I'm I'm the viewer because you have to really make me laugh. Otherwise, like the film is going to feel longer than it. You know, uh, it could be a ninety minute film, but if every joke sucks, it's going to feel like three hours. And every joke in this movie like landed for me. I really enjoyed every little bit of it. Even the things that I was like, well, this doesn't need to be in the film, but I'm glad it is. Like the birthday cake, wonderful. His main assistant explaining, oh, this is a tortilla, loved all of it. And so it, it, John Leguizamo, I think, was there to give it that odd, like, comedic uh, um, stamp of approval almost. It's an energy he brings to everybody. Yeah. He, even in a, so a setting where you're just going to have the characters mainly just sitting at a table, he brings a sort of, like, bombastic vibe to it like no matter what he's he's playing good or bad that i i did appreciate did i i think i texted you um saying that my wife and i were like one of very few that were laughing in the theater and i think it's because the, it's the genre mashup thing where it was sold i don't think it was misleading that this is kind of absurd this this setup um and i don't know if it's it's horror trappings allow people to think, well, of course it's absurd. It's like a, a horror movie. So we, we allow for that without having the fun of, of the absurdity on face value, just confronting it. 
And it started to break a little bit when Ray finds the chef, something horrific would happen. Someone would shoot themselves or they would cut off <laughs> a piece of someone. That's and right. Then he would come and just <laughs> in this sort of deadpan monotone, start explaining the next course and what it means to him. And I did start to get some nervous sort of giggles out of that. And I'm like, the film is wanting you to sort of nervous yeah. and giggle because you can do it. Because the characters that are witness to this, they cannot. But you, <laughs> safely in the theater, can laugh at how fucking absurd this is. And I, I think that it will improve for people on not just streaming, but probably repeat watching. I think there was this fear of like, are we allowed to laugh at this? Because this, this seems pretty traumatic. But yes, I think the film is encouraging that, uh, that nervous energy uh, quite a bit, especially as it continues to escalate. Even to the point where, like, not the title cards, but the cards for each specific course that we see the words. When you get to Tyler's bullshit, like, if you're not laughing, at, then I think you've missed the point of the film entirely. Like, you're allowed to. Yes, this is meant to be an, a, a, an enjoyable experience. See that personal growth there? We're, we're saying that you're allowed to. We're not saying you should. You better be laughing <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I remember getting mad at my friends when I showed them Monty Python clips and they weren't laughing. I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, right. But again, that was that's when I was Tyler. I'm a Margo now. You are allowed to laugh and it's okay. But having said all that, I think that one of the things these genre films have almost an obligation is like you got to end strong. And the way this film ends, it's more artsy than it is like a crowd pleasing. Do you think it would have benefited from an actual escape or where, where you've got the, the chef, this, this uh, incredibly, you know, a gifted craftsman where he gets his just desserts as it were uh, because he's doing these horrible things. No, because I don't. I don't think anyone in the audience is meant to give a fuck about anyone other than Margot. Maybe some of the people that work at the restaurant, but they, you know, it's pretty. I don't know. At least twenty, thirty minutes in, I think you get you're starting to get the strong implication that they are part of a death cult. <laughs> so they, it's not like someone just clocked into the shift. It was not a Dante from Clerks where it's like I'm not. I wasn't supposed to be working today. Like I'm just the bus boy. I don't think you have a character like that. So. No, I I did not get. If the, anything, that's Margot. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 right. Although she's got a a little bit more strength of character than uh, Dante, who just he would just sat there glumly as I guess his Tyler slash Randall would just <laughs> jabbered his ear off until they both were set on fire. Um, no, I didn't get the impression that the ending was uh, unsatisfactory or like glib. I I I, I think that the it's giving you what you asked for as far as like, this is a film about eating the rich and that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to have them covered in chocolate fucking syrup and as they melt into oblivion. And if they had, if they had not allowed, uh, Margo to just bear witness to it, like you said, you don't really, it's not like she comes in contact with the authorities and points them in the direction or whatever. I mean, she's, I guess, quite glib. And that she's just chewing on her hamburger while she watches people burn to their their death. But I don't I don't think you're meant to care. And you know maybe if you're if you're of a certain tax bracket or age, you're going to be highly insulted and offended by this because you might very well be one of the people who uh, you know deserves it. <laughs> <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, I think your average uh, person is going to identify so strongly with with Margot that uh, as long as uh, nothing befalls her, uh, you can you can really handle anything they do to the the elite, to the rich uh, at this particular party. One thing that really made me smile uh, recently is that my kid loves loves love loves christmas and all the lights and and the uh, the commercial aspects of it we went to the botanical gardens in our area local botanical gardens they had a light show and then uh, kind of a, towards the end of the light show they have like a big old fire pit and you can purchase the ingredients for s'mores and it's the first time like my kids never had a s'more before um and she loved the fire and I was like let's let's do it let's let's uh, purchase some of the the graham crackers and whatnot and my kid got to uh roast her marshmallow on the fire she had a ball and it made me just really like the inside my inside just you know my heart three times too big all that all that good stuff not that I was upset at the beginning of our <laughs> light show. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny to me that at the end of the menu, like the, the the s'more is something to be looked down upon, something that is is completely beneath chef at, at you know, at this stage or maybe in all stages of his career. Um, and it really got me thinking about the, the the beginning of the journey of an artist. Like, because you and I, we we make this podcast, and ultimately, you know, we don't really have a rapport with our audience. But I'd like to think that you know they're getting something out of it. And you always want people to enjoy whatever it is that you put out there as any kind of a content creator uh, or, or artist. I know some people have an aversion to the con to the, to the phrase content creator. I'm far more comfortable. Well, things like hobbyist podcasting, we're just creating content. I'm not, <laughs> I, I would never say that I'm, I'm a podcast artist of any sort. Like, I, <laughs> I still look at it as you go to the tool bench of some bit and you're like, uh, my MacBook, I'm going to make something. I'm going to make a 30 minute audio file. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not just delegating my art to people. Like, no, no, put this in, which I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of the higher, more production value ones, uh, work that way where they never put their hands to the keyboard but you and i are just working with simple simple tools you know these, we are these ipad pros and macbooks <laughs> but even then even then you know we ultimately want to create something that someone else will enjoy and that's kind of what the young chef in that photo where he he's got uh the the uh uh, he's clearly having a ball just flipping burgers and making you know a simple meal something that anybody can enjoy and it really did get this movie really got me thinking about that as to like where an artist starts, where they go, and ultimately the, the meaning, the meaning of it all, the, the stuff that they create, mm. how how they react when when it's not appreciated, and and that kind of goes into our expert trilogy here because we've got three main characters who are so good at what they do. Um, one, Mark Rylance, the cutter, who who's doing things for the most part for good. He's stuck in a situation where he's unfortunately creating things for some uh, people of ill repute. Uh, Lydia Tar is creating something that is neither good nor bad in terms of what it is and who it's for, but ultimately her own actions, uh, the stuff that's distracting her from the art is the, the thing that, that makes her someone of ill repute. And then, of course, you've got Chef here, who is, once again, an expert in his field, 
but he feels tainted. He's somewhere in between. <laughs> I was like, he's both. <laughs> You're a little he's bit, yeah. Making things for for people that he does not respect, and he no longer respects himself uh, because of that. And uh, he can't say a way out of it because for him, he's reached the pinnacle of his craft. At least the perception of the, what the, the pinnacle would be. Where would there be to go? Like I, I, I guess the the happy ending version of Chef is that it turns into the movie Chef by John Favreau. <laughs> he, instead of killing everyone. He just throws, uh, you know, the, was it the molten cake? He just throws it on their, their table and gives a nice little lecture that gets caught on YouTube. And then he finds himself again in a food truck. That would be the happy ending for Ray Fiennes here. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think even it can go back to the, the prior three that we did. Where we were talking about uh, films from like a more fan uh, perspective. Uh, and how you sort of interact with fans. Like all of this stuff is that uh, certainly with Tar is that distance. She's so far removed from even her close associates and their sort of growing displeasure and disdain for how she carries herself. Um, I felt like what we were doing last month was a little bit more on the ground. So certainly something like Banshees, it's about a <clears throat> close relationship between two men and the severing of that relationship and also the severing of, digits off the man's hand uh, to, to make the point that he no longer wants that, that relationship. Uh, and you brought up scream in this conversation. It's this, we're in this weird sort of point where, I mean, not just in art, but in the world, there's an attempt to take down the experts that we no longer have need for, for expertise that everything uh, can become common. Uh, I mean, this, this podcast is something that we couldn't have done 30 years ago, we would have had to have been, you know, working at a radio station proper and maybe doing like a 10 minute segment on like you hear the movies, but you, you couldn't have this just these sort of long sort of extended conversations. Like let's, let's pick three random movies and see if they have a common theme together. And I don't know about you, but I, I sort of fall somewhere in the middle. Like in the real world, I, I think we need to trust the experts. I think, yes. I think uh, politically and um, financially, maybe from a, uh, our, a health conscious perspective, an environmental perspective, uh, probably trust the people that have done the work and not just how you feel. I don't know where I fall when it comes to art or craftsmanship. Like we've probably pulled that rubber band as far back as we can as far as like when you go back to scream like you have to be beholden to the fans because at a certain point the fans don't know shit they just want what they liked before and you'll never get to that next step but what's interesting with the menu is we have a main character who clearly knows more than the people he's feeding but he can't see a next move he can't he cannot see a next next step and so I don't know what it's saying about art in that way. Is there just a logical endpoint uh, for, dare I say it, content creation for all of us? Where it's <laughs> like you've got you've got no more to say. Where do you fall on that, Wem? I think the trouble is that between art and sciences, politics, all that, because there's a subjectivity in art that is inescapable. Even food, there's a great subjectivity in food uh, to the point where it's like, hey, if somebody's allergic to peanuts, they can't enjoy, you know, your your brilliant and 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 well researched. You just don't understand peanuts, man. Your, <laughs> your body's rejecting because <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> here's some medications. Here's a syringe. You'll be all right. Just try it. <laughs> it's worth it. 
there's there's none of that. And so yeah, with art, I I think the menu is not trying to come to a conclusion about what's important and what's good. It's more about the struggle. The film is showing the struggle about the subjectivity of art and the journey of the creator. It's like no matter where you think you're going to go and what you think of the consumers of your art or who you want, you put something out there in the world and it's going to reach more people than you think. And when you start looking down on them, like it's so easy to forget where you came from. And and I see a lot of that in there. There's a lot going on in this film and I hate to say it, but again, it's part of that whole, not recency bias, but because it's so fresh, I, I still haven't been able to wrestle with all of it. And hey, at the, at the end of the day, you could just say, hey, it's just a fun horror comedy that, you know, but I, I always like to think. People need to have that spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. I feel like there's medicine here that's good for you, but I'm I'm glad people are enjoying the sugar. This is spoken from a man who just watched Tar, who's like, please God, give me some sugar, give me some, give me some <laughs> junk food mixed in with this. <laughs> and when when the junk food was given to me, like the, like the joke and the apartment song, I said, no, <laughs> no more of this, more of what we already saw. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I think you were ahead of me when it comes to uh, this trilogy. Uh, as soon as you told me, as soon as you revealed to me what uh, the, the theme that you were going for here is, I was uh, I was in love. I was like, absolutely, this is this is perfect. All three of these films really do a great job of showcasing um, an expert in their field uh, put into a, a, some pretty extreme situations, and and uh, I think. Each of them have something to say about the stuff that they create, why they do it, and 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 ultimately the the recipient of the the, the their their labor. Um, a brilliant brilliant trilogy, um, and a heck of a way to kick off twenty twenty three. Well, uh, I'm not complete on twenty twenty two, but as of today, as of this recording. Uh, this trilogy that we just finished are three of my top five from 2022. The Outfit, The Menu, and Tar all reside in my top five currently. Um, hopefully one day, one month this year, we will get to Confess Fletch, which is also in my top five. Uh, and there you go, Webb. That one is the anti-Tar. There's, there's an expert that is nothing but joy from scene to scene, even when his life is threatened and is being attacked by authority. Just such a breezy watch. Loved Confess Fletch. I, I agree with all of that. And unfortunately, I wish I could give you some kind of a top 10 or top 5 right now. But I, I, I'm not done with my medicine. I've got Decision to Leave, Armageddon Time, a bunch of other films that haven't properly come out yet. Because uh, <laughs> the, these, these art and foreign films don't get here until early 2023. So maybe by the end of this year, I'll give you a best of 2022 wrap up at, at some point. That's just us admitting we're we're not experts here. This is like everyone else. It's just a work in progress at Trilogy and Theory. So, well, I mean, I doubt you or I will ever be have a definitive 2022 list because that means we'd have to watch everything, and you're just never never going to stay on top of it. So it's just our best guess. It's just what we feel uh, that day. That's right. I mean, I haven't seen Black Adam. I probably will never see Black Adam. But until I've seen Black Adam, I can't tell you what my favorite film of 2022 is. <laughs> Because it very well might be Black Adam. 
I do not have Black Adam rated, but uh, <laughs> blow bodies, bodies, bodies up to <laughs> <That's> my <laughs> best guess. <laughs>